And thanks for joining the Joshua Nation's Inheritance Podcast, where we discuss God, the Bible, and God's purpose for your life. Be inspired and encouraged to engage in transforming the world around you. particular lesson, uh, we're visiting the attributes or the aspects of a healthy New Testament church. We're in the book of Acts chapter 8. I will give you the first six points, and if you would like to listen to the entire message, uh, we have that available for you. Uh, you can hear the recording. Uh, but real quickly, uh, I'll give you those six points without the commentary, and then we'll get into the final points. Uh, the first was expect opposition. We find that in verses one through three. All of this will be found in Acts chapter eight. Expect opposition. Number two, uh, the healthy New Testament church is founded on the word of God. You'll find that in verses four and five. Number three, uh, the healthy New Testament church is made of different ethnicities and they were in unity. You'll find that also in verse five. Number four, the church was accompanied by signs, wonders, and miracles. It's in verse 7. Number 5. It was a place of deliverance and healing. That is found in verse 7. And number 6. It was a place of rejoicing. That was found in verse 8. So that brings us to point number 7. So without an introduction uh, to go on and, and spend most of our time getting you excited, number 7 uh, this is the best thing of all. Actually, they're all wonderful, but number seven, the good news was preached. If you have your Bible, look over in uh, Acts 8 and verse 12. Depending on what translation, uh, it's worded a little bit differently, but in my uh, particular translation says, but when, but when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So the good news was an emphasis. Now, there's a lot of preachers out there that are not preaching good news. They're preaching bad news. Um, one of my spiritual mentors and fathers in the faith made a very clear uh, statement to me. He said, uh, if you're preaching consistently, he said, spend 75 or 80% of your time preaching the good news. People need hope. People need something to hold on to. They need the joy of salvation. They need the good news of salvation. They need to be able to uh, find something inside of them that excites them to, to move forward in life, to compel them to strive for the better things. But there's a lot of churches that preach the hell, fire, and brimstone. He said, don't disregard that. That's important. But make that like 25% of your time. If you're preaching four times a month, if you preach each Sunday, he said, you know, one Sunday have a hard message. Not, not condemnation, but the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Confront sin. Confront issues. And uh, spend the other times, as you're focusing on the gospel, that would be the good news. Gospel means good news. And so we want to preach the good news. We know that there's always this tandem between the good news and, and if we disregard the good news, like the blessing and the curse, 
We have salvation and we have sin. We have life and we have death. We have heaven and hell. There's always this uh, tandem or tension between the two. But the good news of salvation is very important that we focus on. Uh, we have a church in the New Testament that focused on the sacrifice of Jesus. It wasn't focused on living a blessed life like some prosperity preachers. So I'm not talking about that as the good news. The good news is not health, wealth, and prosperity. The good news is life in Jesus and life abundantly. Sometimes that includes health. Sometimes that includes wealth. But sometimes that includes suffering. Sometimes that includes poverty. Uh, we all know that in Jesus, uh, no matter what, if we are uh, above and beyond excelling in life, everything's going well, uh, we are, we're good. But even in Jesus, sometimes life is difficult. Sometimes we suffer with sickness. Sometimes we suffer with lack of finances. And with Jesus, we are still overcomers. And that is part of the good news. So remember that. Many churches have strayed away from the good news, and they become more focused on building up their own kingdom, building up the, their buildings, building up their property, building up their influence, building up the person as opposed to building Christ in them. And so we don't focus on motivational messages, although that can be part of our preaching. That should not be the emphasis. The emphasis should be the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Uh, Christ crucified, risen, and ascended to heaven, and us living as sons and daughters in the kingdom of God today. Uh, we need to focus on those things. The good news was preached. We find that in, in Acts 8. We find that throughout the New Testament church. We don't find some of the motivational speeches. When you find the words of the sermons, like from Peter or when Paul was speaking, they were very pointed. They would cut to the heart. They addressed sin, but brought the hope of reconciliation, the hope of glory through Jesus. But they didn't do that. Oh, I want you to feel better. And we want you to have a, a good day and feel blessed and happy and full of joy. No, he, he addressed sin. The sin was always addressed. So when you look at those sermons that are documented here in the New Testament, uh, think about that and make sure that your messages and your churches and your ministries model that the good news of the gospel. Number eight, we find this also in verse 12. It is the importance of baptism. And I'm going to uh, explain this is both water and in the Holy Spirit. Uh, we need the full experience of God. In Acts 8.12, it says, after the good news was preached, they were being baptized, men and women alike. There wasn't discrimination. Uh, everyone who received Jesus was being baptized. You know, some churches and traditions uh, make people wait. They make them wait for a long period of time until they've gone through some kind of course or teaching uh, before they will allow them to be baptized. And I ask you a rhetorical question. Where do you find that in the scripture? You don't. Uh, I think it's important when someone makes a profession of faith in Jesus that they have opportunity to be baptized right away. In fact, the jailer, you remember him? He got saved, his whole family got saved, and they went down and got baptized that night. We see this over and over. 
it's a denominational tradition that we've allowed to creep into the church that have required people to wait a season of time before they get baptized. Now, I sometimes I can agree with that if, if it's a young child and you want to make sure that they truly understand their profession of faith. My youngest son, he, he is now five years old. You've seen him many times while we're on here uh, having these teachings. Uh, and at four years old, uh, he prayed and he asked Jesus to come into his heart. And he's learning and growing and understanding. He has not yet been baptized uh, but he's begun to ask about that. So I think we will be doing that soon. But there's no requirement in my mind, especially for adults. I think the quick baptism is important because it is in a, it's like a stamp of approval. Someone says, I believe in Jesus. They pray. They ask him to come into their heart. Uh, they, they repent. They turn. They want a new life. And that baptism is a public display like a stamp of approval saying, yes, I'm doing this. It's everyone can see it. And so they move forward. So I want to encourage you, no matter what your tradition may be, consider this as you look into the New Testament, that people would be baptized as they receive Jesus. And don't think of the time that they have to wait. Now in Matthew 28, 19, uh, this is part of the Great Commission. Uh, but the simple segment says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to get into a, a Pentecostal or charismatic teaching on the Holy Spirit, but we need to be baptized in all of what God has for us. And so that's very important. And uh, for those of you who were with us uh, here in Colorado, you can see that the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is real. We had a wonderful time of ministry, a wonderful time of prophecy, and, uh, and if you were there and experienced that, you know it was God. It was not an emotional night that was made up of man's emotions. It was God's presence. These things give us the power of what we need to do as we go and do the ministry of the Lord. So baptism, both in water and in the Holy Spirit. Uh, very, very important for them. And uh, maybe we'll spend some time in the future also teaching on the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's been a while since we've done that. Number nine, this is a very important one for leaders, accountability. And verse 14 says, now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John. Why do you think this was important. Relationship and accountability is important in our lives to avoid error. Most pastors and leaders today, they don't have anyone whom they are in relationship with at a peer level. Uh, they don't have anyone that they're accountable to. We think of relationships and church structure often in a hierarchy. If you're part of a denomination or an alliance of some sort, you have someone who's over you, whether that's like a district superintendent, a regional director, a bishop, uh, whatever term you may use. When you have someone over you, oftentimes you look at them as a boss and they want something of you. And you know that you have to give of your time and energy uh, to help serve them and the vision of the greater uh, organization or the denomination. 
it's important that we have people at a peer level. So another pastor, another organizational leader, uh, another Bible school leader, another business leader, someone who can walk with you as a brother in Christ, who can encourage you, make sure that you are on track, that you don't veer from the gospel, that you don't allow sin to come into your life intentionally or unintentionally. The New Testament churches operated this way so that they made sure that the gospel was not tainted. It was not distorted. Even Paul uh, made a statement. He says, you know, some are of Paul, some are of Apollos, stating that, you know, there's different leaders that have different kinds of things. But even Paul, he wanted to make sure that those who had been led to the Lord under the leadership of the man Apollos would learn about the Holy Spirit. And he would send people to make sure that those new disciples, those new believers were on track. We need that in our lives. Our churches need that. Our leadership needs that. Um, a lot of times uh, we look at what denominations and fellowships and alliances have created. Um, some of them have created a wonderful opportunity for relationship and accountability with other ministers. But sometimes that's also created a lot of pressure and we're not truly open and we're not vulnerable or accountable. And so that may allow us to end up off track or allow something in our lives that we don't need. And that remains unaddressed. So you can look on here for other brothers. Maybe you have some that are in your uh, region, but let me encourage you according to Acts 8.14, uh, we need to be in relationship and we need to be accountable. This church uh, in Samaria was then accountable to Peter and John. They went to check and make sure that, are you preaching it right? Do you have the full gospel message or are you in error? And they wanted to make sure that uh, the doctrine was correct, that ethics and morality were correct and that they wouldn't continue to perpetuate anything that was unhealthy. Uh, several years ago, actually almost 10 years ago now, uh, the Lord was speaking to me one day. I was out, uh, I was actually on a run. When I run, sometimes the Lord speaks to me because all I can do is focus on staying alive. Uh, if you've seen me and my size, when you see a, a man this size running, you know, it takes all of my effort to, to focus, to stay alive, keep breathing, keep moving, don't fall over, don't die. And so um, as I was doing this, uh, the Lord was speaking to me about ministry. And he, he said very specifically, he said, whatever you do, do not multiply dysfunction. And really, the Lord just wanted to get into my heart that everything that I did in ministry needed to be a, from a place of health, needed to be placed of sound doctrine, that if there's something that's off, something that's an error, something that needs to be addressed, something that isn't correct according to scripture, don't multiply that. Make sure that you get things healthy and whole before you reproduce, before you disciple, before you uh, encourage other leaders within the nations to, to begin to add more Bible schools, more churches, target more unreached people, but that everything should be done from a place of health. And uh, so it's very, very important that we have that accountability, not only to one another, but also to the Lord 
and also to scripture that we are accountable for all the things that we read and learn and that we implement. Number 10, uh, let's go to Acts 8, verse 17. It says, then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Laying on of hands is a foundational teaching of the early church. Not every denomination or church does this anymore, uh, but it's very important. It's right here in the New Testament in a healthy New Testament church. Laying out of hands is foundational to the health of the church. Uh, many things can be taught, just like I'm teaching right now, but there's also many things that must be imparted through the laying on of hands. Now, if you've ever had someone, uh, a spiritual leader, lay hands on you and pray for you and pray that God would impart something to you, then you may understand this. I've had this happen numerous times in my life, uh, but uh, I'll give you just a quick story. Uh, as I was finishing my secondary school, it was a private Christian school. There is a opportunity to go to a prayer meeting at night where the elders of the church who were associated with the school would pray for all the graduating students. And so I went to this prayer meeting and these elders laid hands on me and prayed over me. And uh, one of those uh, prayers was very, very specific. And he began to prophesy about ministering to nations and some of the activities of ministry that I would be doing. And uh, it was very, very powerful and very specific. At the time, I thought, wow, this is, this is crazy. Uh, I was planning to go become a psychiatrist, to, have, to, be, to be a doctor of the brain. <laughs> and I had everything planned for me to go that route. I had universities sending me letters. I had scholarships. And I thought, wow, here, this guy is prophesying these things. Either he's wrong or I'm wrong. I continued my path to become a psychiatrist and started to enroll in school. And then the Lord got my heart and he shifted everything and changed everything. I ended up going to a Bible school and at the Bible school, I had more people lay hands on me and prophesy similar things. And it was through those multiple times that the Lord took me from what I thought I was going to do to what I am now doing today. And that is to, to lead this ministry, to go and to serve and to partner with brothers like you, and to empower and encourage the church around the world. But that happened through the laying on of hands. Now, there's a lot more to that story, which I'll share at another time. Uh, but this is important. As you are serving your people, as you are serving your church, there will be important times where you need to identify, raise up, and lay hands and impart something to those who you are lifting up in ministry. And this is a critical thing that we find here in the New Testament church. Through the laying on of hands, this is where we find the impartation of spiritual gifts, often the baptism of the Holy Spirit, healing, and also even commissioning. And so um, I, I'm assuming that Pastor Emmanuel in Tanzania had Dr. Russ Frey's lay hands on him before he left Tanzania. And I know there was a commissioning 
that he would lead efforts for Joshua nations amongst the Maasai people. And so that's very important. And something great happened because God is using Pastor Emmanuel in Tanzania in a powerful way. And uh, several times uh, before Pastor uh, Russ went home to be with the Lord, he lay hands on me and prayed and imparted things to me. And I'm very grateful for that. So don't neglect that. That's part of the healthy New Testament church. Number 11, uh, spiritual gifts are expressed. Now we can see this in verses 19 through 23. Allow me to read that. And uh, this is Simon the sorcerer who is uh, having this conversation uh, with the apostles here. Verse 19 says, uh, Simon says, give me this power that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness and pray God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Now, some people interpret this passage as uh, Simon basically being being cursed by Peter, saying, "You know, you're, you know, you're you're on the path to hell." And uh, I think a little differently. I think Peter was giving him a stern warning, saying, "You have an opportunity." to repent and put your life in order. There's always grace and there's always opportunity to repent and to turn to Jesus. Simon was bound up with iniquity and bitterness and, and just bad thinking. Here's a man who had been practicing witchcraft his probably much of his life or his whole life. And so his understanding of the power was so different. It was it was totally, over here you have witchcraft, you have pagan beliefs, you could buy your way into stuff, you could do things to, to get into good graces, and you're, you're serving demonic powers. But with God, everything is different. So Simon's like, oh, I want this, this looks, this looks amazing. And his worldview had it from a different perspective, like I can purchase this, I can earn this. I can do this or that, and I can have this kind of power. Peter's like, whoa, no, that is not the way things work in God's kingdom. In fact, it is only by his grace and through your relationship through him that you have access to these kinds of things. So repent before you uh, end up in complete destruction. We don't know what happens with him, uh, with Simon going forward, but uh, here's what we want to look at through this particular passage. Uh, the power of the Holy Spirit came forth to identify Simon's real problem. Uh, so there was the gift of discernment that was in action by Peter. Peter discerned what was going on. Um, and then he was able to identify what uh, Simon needed to do. So oftentimes when we have an expression or a manifestation of spiritual gifts, we see a cycle uh, you'll see one begin, and then there'll be one, two, three, four, maybe a few more that happen subsequently after that first one. Discernment, uh, we see that, and then looks like words of knowledge because he said that. 
Uh, Simon was bound up by bitterness and iniquity, so he addressed specific things that needed to be changed in his life. And then wisdom afterwards, which is the hope of salvation, repent and come and get things in order. So I paraphrase that, but we see that the manifestation and the use of the spiritual gifts were in operation. Spiritual gifts are given to all believers, but they are not always put to use. And I can tell you this, and there's a, there's 19 people on here at the moment. Uh, there are spiritual gifts in each one of you that you're not using right now. I'm telling you the truth. There is something inside of each one of you that you have not used or you don't use often enough. But God has put so much inside of you, and he wants to use those things. And so sometimes we just need to act on faith and, and, and pull those things out and start using them. I had someone ask me, like, how do, you, how do you prophesy like you do? I said, you just do it. They said, well, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I said, well, uh, I gave them kind of how my gift was developed. And I remember uh, one of the first few times and God would ask me to say just these little bitty things, go to this person over here, go to your friend, Billy, put your arm around him and say, God loves you. And I said, well, you know, Billy knows that God loves him. Why do you want me to do that? And he said, well, you obey me. So, okay, I'll do it. So I go do that. And uh, then he'll ask me to go do something a little bit more next time and a little bit more. And, uh, and then you see that just this activation of faith and obedience then more comes, more words, more prophetic words. And for me, that's how that began to happen. Not everyone has that same gift or the same operation of that particular gift, uh, but the expression, the full expression of all the Holy Spirit gifts, of all the things we read about, are still in operation today, and they are still for today. Uh, the church has pushed them down. And some denominations have said, no, that's, that's for 2,000 years ago. That was only for the apostles. But I don't see anything in this Bible that says on A.D. 60 or A.D. 100, after all the original apostles and their first disciples that followed after them died, that the Holy Spirit stopped moving. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. Uh, and there's nothing in the word that would indicate that that's how God works, that he only does a little bit for some time, and then he abandons everything and says, oh, that's it, no more. And so we need to continue believing this word. We either believe it or we don't. And you can't just pick pieces of it. If you do, then, you know, I question, uh, where do you really put your trust? Is it into a religious system or do you put your trust into a relationship with the Lord? And so if, a, if it's a relationship with the Lord, then you say, yeah, I believe this. I believe all the stuff that's in it. I believe it's here, it's available, and I have access to that. So we need to allow those spiritual gifts to be manifest and represented in our churches. Of course, that needs direction. It needs instruction. You need to teach people. You need to mentor people. And so I've made some statements because I am a Pentecostal charismatic person I said, we can be charismatic without being a charismaniac. And uh, there's a, a number of churches I've seen that, uh, that allow uh, not just freedom, but almost dis it becomes disorderly. 
people are doing things that are wild and crazy. Um, there's no kind of order. And it's, uh, they say, well, you know, that's just the way the Holy Spirit works here. So, well, let's make sure that things we can, we can find them in the Bible. Let's sure, let's make sure that we can, uh, put things into a healthy perspective so that it edifies the church and people are growing and maturing that it's not like you're walking into a circus or uh, just something that is just absolute chaos. So it can be done healthy. And again, you know, maybe we'll revisit the, the spiritual gifts uh, in operation at, at another time through some other teachings. Uh, but they need to be allowed and they need to be expressed. That is part of a healthy New Testament church. All right, we have two more. Number 12, it was a place of repentance, restoration, and intercession. I know that's three things, but uh, it, this all kind of happens together. In Acts 20 through 24, uh, Simon answered and says, pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you've spoken could come upon me. And so I think Simon had hope for, uh, for being reconciled. I personally believe that he was a bad, bad man bound up in all kinds of demonic activity, iniquity, witchcraft. And he saw, he saw that Jesus was the way. He saw a hope of something that was real. And how do we know, you know, Scripture tells us that only people that get this revelation, you know, it comes from the Father revealing it to them. So I think the Lord really wanted Simon's heart. So we find in verses 20 through 24 uh, that uh, Simon says, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you've spoken may come upon me. People shouldn't be given up upon you may have a witch doctor in your area. You may have uh, friends or family members who are totally anti-God, anti-Christian. In fact, they may even hate you. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. Uh, pray that the Lord would open their eyes, that they would have revelation of Jesus. Because uh, until they die, you don't know that they've run out of opportunity. You, Peter didn't know here, he, he gave Simon a, a stern warning. And then Simon responded appropriately, I think. He didn't run off and say, oh, whatever. Uh, I, I could have bought this power somewhere else. I could buy this power with, you know, by going over here to this pagan uh, God. I think it's important that we focus on repentance, restoration, and it's done through a heart of intercession. Simon was confronted. He repented, it appears. And scripture implies that he was ministered to by uh, Peter and John for restoration. And so uh, some of our churches have been very closed to sinners. Uh, we want people to get clean and sin free and looking like us before they step foot in the front door of our church. But instead, you know, the church is not a building. The church is the body. And so, therefore, we need to be with arms wide open, that we would embrace people who are ready to receive Jesus. And let's not put limitation and restriction upon them as their heart is turning to the Lord. 
Some people have radical conversions and they immediately abandon all sin, sinful behavior, even uh, addictive thinking and activities. But other people, their heart is being transformed, but they've not yet been able to overcome uh, sinful behavior, addictive behavior, bad thinking. And so some people, it's a quick, immediate 180 degree turnaround. And for others, their heart is changed, but their behavior, that sanctification process takes some time. I've met people that were delivered from drugs, alcohol abuse, witchcraft, um, sexual addiction. Immediately they got saved and it was, they had no more desire, no more sin, no more addiction. Then there's others who, who repented. Their heart was given to Jesus, but trying to get free from all of that sin was a process. So that doesn't make them any less of a Christian. It's a similar thing as when you pray for someone and some get healed right away. Have you ever seen that? They get healed right away. And then there's been some you pray for, and it's not right away. It may take a little bit of time. There's been people I've prayed for uh, in other countries. I leave, and then I come back later on, maybe a year later, and they come to me and say, you remember praying for me? Over the next two months after you prayed for me, I was healed, completely free of that sickness, completely free of that disease or that problem. But there was others that I prayed for that day. They were instantly healed. And we have to think about this uh, not only in terms of healing, but also as people are putting their life into the hands of our Lord Jesus. Simon asked Peter and John to intercede for him. Intercession's vital. It's a characteristic of the New Testament church that we cannot stress enough. Um, intercession is not just, you know, simple prayer that uh, when you think about something, I'm going to give it to the Lord. Uh, before you eat, I'm going to pray that the Lord would bless this. Um, as we get into a car to travel, we ask the Lord to keep us safe. Um, that's not intercession. Intercession is the constant communication with the Lord over specific things. Intercession is like, it's like spiritual warfare. You're just, you're chipping away at the enemy. You are constantly going into the throne room. And uh, prayer, as it's described in scripture, is a, is a fragrance or an incense before the Lord. And so to intercede, it's like we're always causing that incense or that fragrance to be before the Lord, that he would always remember, he would always know. And so intercession is a constant thing. It is a constant prayer. Uh, scripture tells us that we should always be praying, always interceding, singing, making melodies. And so it is a posture of the heart. Does that mean that every moment when you're not conversing with someone else or sleeping that you need to be speaking prayer? No, not necessarily. But your heart can be in communion with God and connecting with him and bringing things before him. And that also is intercession. The last thing, number 13, missions and evangelism. One of my favorite things in Acts 8.25 says, So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now, as you know, through the context of this passage, uh, the Samaritans were not 
the Jewish uh, people's favorite people. Uh, they were the outcasts. They were, they were even called dogs by the Jewish people. Uh, but what was happening here was God brought down the barriers and the gospel was going out to all people, Jews and Gentiles. The people who uh, were in Jerusalem, the Hebrew Jewish people, and also to the Samaritans and to the ends of the earth. After completing the preaching of the word, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem and they stopped. They evangelized Samaritan villages as missionaries. Uh, the preaching of the word shouldn't be limited only to Sunday mornings. It should be something that should be done all the time, everywhere that you go. Some of you go, uh, you physically travel, you go to villages, you go to new nations, you go to places, you go to the Amazon, uh, you go to uh, parts throughout Pakistan, uh, and you preach the gospel where no one has preached before. And that is critical to the success and the future of establishing God's purpose, fulfilling his prophecy that all people, all tribes and tongues, all villages would have heard the gospel of Jesus. This gospel should be taken to the ends of the earth. And all of you that are on here know this. And if you're listening to a recording, you've heard this, but in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Mark 16, 15, Luke 24, 47, John 20, 21, Acts 1, 8. It is important that we do not forsake taking the gospel to all people. There's a lot of people that have become very introverted over the last 18 months through COVID, through lockdowns. They're so focused on themselves, uh, the few people that are in their church, and they have forgotten the importance of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. I believe that the enemy has used this pandemic to cause the church to look inward. But it's really God's goal and intent for the church to look outward. And so the pandemic has become a, a delay in finishing the Great Commission. But instead, I know what God is doing through this time. What the enemy meant for bad, God is going to use for good. He's building us up. So as we dig deeper into him, as we draw closer to him, as we lift up and encourage one another through this season, we can become stronger and healthier and more passionate so that when we're able to go, and some of you are able to go, and then there's lockdowns, and you're able to go again. But as we go, we go in the power and the anointing, and we do it with such passion, knowing that our time is short. We don't know when the next lockdown will happen. We don't know if there will be another pandemic. We don't know if there's going to be another uh, uprising or civil war or strife within our nations. We don't know. But we do know this that every tribe, every tongue, every people will have heard the gospel. And that is what we strive to fulfill, to, to see Revelation 5.9, Revelation 7.9 7, fulfilled. And that is that every people group represented around the throne of God. And we do that for his glory. So these are the 13 things that we find in a healthy New Testament church. There's a lot more I'm sure we could find, but uh, this concludes uh, this particular teaching from Acts chapter 8. And uh, hopefully these things have challenged or encouraged you and you can use it 
to bring health and order to your life, your church, your ministry. Thank you for joining Joshua Nations on this episode of the Inheritance Podcast. For more information about the ministry of Joshua Nations, please go to www.joshuanations.org. To join our prayer movement, please go to prayer.joshuanations.org. We hope you will join us for the next episode of the Joshua Nations Inheritance Podcast. May God bless you.